Welcome to this edition of In the Author's Voice. I'm Jeff Williams. We're about halfway through the school year. Achievement tests are underway. Quarterly and semester grades will be coming out soon. High school juniors and seniors are focusing on getting into a good college. Extracurricular activities fill nearly every waking hour. And the pressure to perform is at a breaking point. As parents, how can we learn to let go so that our children can succeed? Educator, author, and columnist Jessica Leahy is out with a new book entitled The Gift of Failure. The book is currently on the New York Times bestseller list for education. I recently talked with Leahy about the book and her experiences in the classroom. I, You know, I've been a teacher for a long time, and uh, I'd been noticing that my students were just getting, uh, I don't know, more afraid, more hesitant, more um, worried about looking stupid. And so they were afraid to take risks. They were afraid to look silly in class. They were afraid to make any mistakes at all. And they, even to the point where they were afraid to write rough drafts in, in English class. And that's a disaster. It's really hard to teach kids who are afraid to take intellectual risks. So, you know, I started thinking about it and, and of course, went to blame the, their parents. But the problem is, is I have kids, and I had one kid going into middle school while I was teaching middle school. And so I figured if, if my students' parents were complicit uh, in this, then I was complicit too. And I just needed some answers for why this was happening. And, and uh, so I, I sort of went out, researched, and, and wrote the book I kind of needed for myself to figure out how to back off myself. You mentioned that they're, they're either, for whatever reason, more scared of, of failure or, or more intimidated to just even... Uh, try to, to, to do something. Is this generation getting too reliant on, on, on technology that they're lacking in development of some of the basic life skills? I actually don't think that that's the case. I think that, um, that the problem is more that we're so focused on the product of, uh, you know, the end product of what we're supposed to be doing in school that learning, the process of learning is, is sort of overlooked or uh, has been devalued. So, you know, and the reason I say that I don't think technology is part of it is I live in a very odd little pocket of the United States in rural New Hampshire where we actually don't really have cell service in many places. And a lot of schools in the area, um, a lot of families in the area have extremely limited Internet service. So, you know, I, I happen to live in a weird outlier where, you know, that that isn't the case, that it, it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, just getting a quick answer. I think more than, even more than that, I think parents are so concerned about um, whether or not it appears that they're doing a good job of parenting um, that they're just so focused on the short-term goals of, you know, how does this homework look, how, how many points did she get on that test, that the sort of the long-term goals of, of raising competent kids who are una, unafraid of making mistakes and know how to innovate and know how to be resilient, um, those long-term goals are getting trumped by the short-term goals of points and grades and that kind of thing. So as, as, as parents, are we intentionally or maybe unintentionally putting extra emphasis on that type of, of success? And what should we be doing as, as parents to help support a more productive learning environment and to develop this self, self-reliance self in our in our children? Well, the, the, one of the first places we can look is there's a woman named Carol Dweck who's done some incar- incredible research on, on what she calls a growth mindset. And that's all about the fact that we need to be putting more, more focus on 
um, the effort and the learning as opposed to this end product of, you know, a test or in that, that praising our kids for just being smart sets them up for a situation where if you've been telling your kid that you're smart and creative and talented and all that sort of stuff, then they hold on to that label and they're afraid to mess it up by making mistakes. You know, if suddenly um, you've been telling your kid, oh, that's so great, you got an A on that test and you hardly had to study, then their expectation is is that they should ha- hardly have to study and that things should come easily to them. So the first moment something is difficult and everything becomes difficult eventually, um, they freak out and they think, oh, no, I'm, I'm not actually smart. And they develop this terrible fixed mindset where they think that, you know, the smarts they have in their head right now is the smarts that they have and, and uh, that that's not going to change. But we need to be talking to our kids about the fact that the harder they work, the smarter they become. And that's, that's what's going to help them uh, grow and learn and, and figure out that, you know, learning itself is actually the reward, not the grade at the end of all of it. How do we go about taking that? "Quote unquote failure and and mm-hmm. showing that as a, as an actual as an opportunity as a positive you know learning experience. Now you really didn't fail, but it it does show mm-hmm. you more the direction of of what you can do to be successful the next time you're in this this type of a situation. Yeah, that's the book I wanted. You know, I I read once I figured out that I was sort of making some mistakes in my parenting. I went and read all the parenting books I could find and. You know, they all made me feel pretty bad and let me know that I was doing stuff wrong but didn't give me kind of a way forward. So that's what I tried to do with my book is, you know, ways to back off around homework, ways to back off around social life, and ways to let our kids know that we're there, that we're supporting them, but we're not necessarily sitting right there at the table with them holding their hand while they do their math homework because the math homework is frustrating to them. We need to let them know that we're supporting them and that we have ex- very clear expectations for them, um, expectations that if they don't meet, so for example, you know, if the expectation is that homework will get done, it will get done well, and it will get put, placed in the teacher's hands, um, that if they don't meet those expectations, that we'll follow through with consequences. But the details of how they get those things done are up to them. Um, that that little bit of autonomy that we give our kids will really go a long way to helping them feel more competent in the long run and, and as if they, they have a little more control over their own behavior and their future. I wanted to ask you about a, a particular type of, of, of child, and I have one in full disclosure. <laughs> I have one in full disclosure, and, but I, I see this in several of my students here at the, at the university that come in. You have a kid that's a child that's a type A personality. They are hyper competitive. They are mm-hmm. they w- they strive to be the best in absolutely everything that they do. They mm-hmm. put so much stress on themselves to continue to be able to do that. That at at some point when they 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 hit a wall and they mm-hmm. they don't do as well as they think they should, even though they're probably mm-hmm. doing very well. Mm-hmm. Then it's just this puddle of person <laughs> that has going through a major meltdown and it's yeah. like well time yeah. out take a look yeah. at this yeah how do you approach a student like that that's maybe a slightly different situation how they approach learning they want to learn they want to be the best and they're putting so much pressure on themselves mm-hmm. to be so successful because they have been in the past and they know they can be so they they right. want to be and it, 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 it keeps feeding in on itself and sometimes you just want to push the off button yeah, I think there are two things that you're talking about there. Um, in 
I wrote in my column at the New York Times, it's a column called the Parent-Teacher Conference, I wrote an article last spring about um, how to help kids who have real issues with perfection and real issues with not being able to let go of this this platonic ideal of perfection and, and what perfection should look like. But the other problem is, and, and I've written about this with my husband, actually, who teaches in uh, at Dartmouth uh, Medical School, he he came home one day and he had given some feedback to a medical student who had done obviously had done well her entire life had ended up in an you know an Ivy League medical school um, and she he offered her feedback and she just fell apart she absolutely could not handle it she started to cry and it was you know it wasn't mean feedback it was constructive gentle feedback and you know I think the key is going to be to help our kids get and cope with that constructive feedback from an earlier age so that when they get to, you know, a place like medical school, they understand that feedback is a really important part of becoming a better learner and a better whatever, even if it's a physician. So I, I think the problem is is we're just shielding our kids too much from, you know, the the idea that effort and getting better is a continual thing and that they're not perfect and we don't expect them to be perfect. Uh, despite, you know, what the media says about, you know, what's required to get into, you know, one of those high-octane colleges. It's just really unfair to do to kids. Yeah, yeah. For our daughter, analytical geometry was <laughs> was what helped. <laughs> yeah. She had a fantastic teacher that, that, that really was able to do exactly what she said because mom and dad obviously do not know anything about about any of, of <laughs> the things she would be going through as a as a as a seventeen year old senior in, in, in high school, um, what what role? And I know a lot of folks have, have written about about this, and I've witnessed this in my with my own own kids. And I know you talk about it in the book. What role does it seems like this extreme focus that we have on our kids being involved in every athletic mm-hmm. endeavor out there? Mm-hmm. What are you seeing? What impact is that having in in the classroom? And I know there's a there's kind of a there's a um, a path to navigate there in terms of the children that want to participate in sports mm-hmm. and want to excel and those where <laughs> mom and dad are reliving their high school or, or, or junior high years and, and, and pushing their kids in, right. in that direction. It's funny when you say, you know, that we want them to be involved in every athletic endeavor out there. Actually, what what seems to be happening is we get our kids into a sport from a young age and we expect them to specialize and then we start to get invested in it, it, you can start to get that feeling like oh well he can't quit because even if he doesn't like it because we've invested so many years in him becoming you know whatever a soccer player or a lacrosse player or whatever that thing is but childhood is supposed to be a time when you get to try lots of different things and you know even putting aside the fact that physicians are saying kids are overly specialized and it's it's resulting in injuries you know i think the problem is is when we force kids to do something they don't like because we think they should take piano or we think they should be in the soccer you know in the soccer traveling league and they're not invested in it what we're doing is setting them up to not have time to try other things that they might love that might be that passion that we always hope we can find in kids and I think it's a it does kids a real disservice when we we put them in music or soccer or whatever that thing is and then don't let them quit because we think that you know that's what they need on their resume or that's what we need you know to to make them disciplined kids. I think a little more well-roundedness would be uh the the right answer there. What do you see in terms of the influence or the impact of 
peers and peer pressure on on students when they're when they're kind of navigating this this course and 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 trying to su- to su- to succeed. Um, mm-hmm. Is there more influence today? Do you think, or you see more influence on what's going on with the, that particular student's peers than maybe a decade ago? You know, that's an interesting question. I actually think that what's happening is um, peers of parents. So, for example, you know, if we're standing on the sidelines or at parent-teacher night or or at back-to-school night, we tend to whip each other into a frenzy about what our kids should be doing. And our kids hear that, and they hear that from us. They know their friends are hearing it from their parents. And Yes, there is competition happening in school. You know, I see it when I hand, a, a, you know, a test back and all the kids compare scores and that kind of thing. There is competition there, but I actually think that it's this sort of larger cultural pressure to look perfect all the time and to keep up this facade of perfection and ease. That's the other thing is it's supposed to be easy for them all the time. And kids get freaked out when they look and they see that their friends might be better at a particular skill and it comes easier to them. And I really wish we would stop focusing so much on how easy things are supposed to be and start giving them the real, the realistic vision that things um, aren't easy and learning's not easy and it shouldn't be easy. There, there are things that we have to work at and that's okay and, uh, and that's good. And let me show you as, as the parent, let me model that for you. Let me show you putting, uh, that I'm going to put myself out there and try to learn something new and it's hard for me too. I, I, you know, I, I hate the idea that we hold up uh, um, this idea of, of easy perfection as, as an ideal. It's just terrible for kids. So what role do you think right now, or what influence right now, are the, the this intense focus that we're seeing on Common Core and national standards? Because, you know, I hear a lot, I hear a lot from my own kids, and even the, the students that are coming in, they've graduated from high school, they're freshmen in college, talking about how, you know, I wish I, I wish I had sort of learned this. I was taught this set of things because this is what I needed to know to take the test, to get in the right percentile, and to mm-hmm. get into this, into this, into this school. Are we putting some artificial limitations on not only the students and what they can learn, but the teachers and how they approach the learning? Or is there, is there a place for um, you know, having some sort of a, of, a, of a common core standard that we all need to, need to meet? Well, there's like 10 quest questions implicit in that question. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, think, I think there's a huge misunderstanding about what common core is. Um, a common core is a set of standards. It's not a curriculum. Um, it's so uh, I think we need to separate the testing from the Common Core stuff, from the you know expectations high. Uh, you know, uh, the idea is that Common Core state standards are you know are supposed to give added rigor to education, and I think there's a place for that, and we absolutely need that. And I think there's also one of the big problems, like that you see a lot in the media, is parents not understanding why we're teaching things differently today. For example, math. Um, parents. Are posting to Facebook, you know, why this this homework problem is so stupid? Why can't we just do it the way? Why can't they just do it the way we did it? We're we need to, as parents, understand that just because the way we did it was the way we did it, we actually learned a way where we were supposed to just accept rules of math and and apply them, but not necessarily understand them. So actually, the way our kids are learning math today is better. It under, helps them understand the concepts behind the math, and, and we need to stop getting so pissy about the fact that we don't understand it when we're trying to help them with our homework. Back off of their homework, 
let them learn math in a way that helps them understand the concepts underlying the math. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of different problems going on right now with, with how Common Core was implemented and what parents understand the Common Core to be um, that I think really confuse the issue. Uh, but, you know, kids need to understand that we're there for them, we're there to support them, um, but we would really like for them to take a, their first whack at it themselves, but we'll be here if they get really stuck. Do the do the you know you, you get all this data back that comes from this so the schools send home to the parents and it shows which which percentile your child is and it compares mm -hmm. it to all the other children. Mm -hmm. Does that apply uh, some artificial emphasis <laughs> on parents saying, "Well, you've got to do better, and this is what you got to do to get better"? And well, not only do they do they get that. So one of the other one of my other huge beefs is with um, online parent portals for for grading. So parents can log on at many schools up to 10 times. They can log on 10 times a day if they want, and I know plenty of parents that actually do that. And it is, I don't think that online grading portals, with the exception of maybe children with special needs, parents in the military, parents who are separated so they're in, on two different coasts, I don't think the online parent portals have any place in education. I think they destroy relationships. I think they destroy parent-teacher relationships and parent-child relationships. So that said, I think at a certain point, just because we have access to so much information does not mean that we need to be absorbing it and, and applying it to an assessment of our children on a day-to-day -day basis. I think it's, we've so focused on the products, on, the, on the, the scores, on the points, on the grade, um, that we're really teaching our children that that's what we value in them, not the learning. And that is that's really what's ruining education in America today. Mm -hmm. What do you hope that, that, that listeners take away from, from, from the gift of failure? I would love for parents to start thinking a little more long-term. You know, when we put our kids into bed at night and we're, you know, we check off that list, is my kid happy, is my kid safe? Um, those moments of happy, I think, tend to overshadow the big picture of happy. And, and what really makes kids happy is to be competent and to not be afraid of the world. Um, so I, I would love it if we started thinking long-term instead of short-term and we started thinking about um, the process of learning over the end product and tests and grades and that sort of thing. So just changing, shifting our perception a little bit. That's Jessica Leahy, educator, author, and New York Times columnist on parenting and education. Her new book is The Gift of Failure, How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed. In the Author's Voice is a listener-supported service of WSIU and Southern Illinois University Carbondale. I'm Jeff Williams.